morning, y'all. How you doing? Uh, back to the study of Colossians. Glad you're staying with us. Glad you're tracking with us. Glad you're continuing to put up with watching me on video. <laughs> I'm continuing to work at being comfortable at it. It is always interesting, let me tell you. Staring at the two-eyed beast over there that is a camera. Pretending it's all of you someday, right? Uh, okay, anyway... We're going to jump in the Word today. We're going to continue in Colossians where we've been and what we've been working through. Um, so you can turn there to chapter 4. As always, I mention this every time, this is me unpacking the Word. This is not church. This is a chance for you to kind of see a video of, of me pulling it apart. But tonight we'll gather together as a church, Salt River Community Church here in Tempe, in our home, and we'll wrestle through this text and we'll spend some time praying and eating and encouraging each other. So I'd love for you to come. We all would love for you to come. You're more than welcome, especially if you're in the East Valley. You can hit us up online. We have multiple ways to connect, whether it's website or uh, social media or whatever. Let us know you'd like to come. We'll hit you up with how to find us and love for you to come hang out. Also, kind of we've been working through the theme of knowing who you are. And uh, I've mentioned this verse multiple times throughout. I'll say it again, Colossians 3.3. 3. For you've died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. That's been kind of our theme. So let me read Colossians chapter 4, and then we'll jump into this. Colossians chapter 4, I'm going to read starting in verse 7, just a handful of verses today. Tychicus will tell you, Paul speaking, Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and a faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I've sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you. They will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. And Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you've received instruction, if he comes to you, welcome him. And, G and Jesus, who is called Justice. These are the only men of the circumcision among whom my fellow workers for the kingdom of God. And they have been a comfort to me. Let me pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word. I say that every time, but I never mean that cliche. Thank you that I can hold it in my hand, that we can hold it, or that we have been entrusted with it by you. Let us never take that for granted. Let us always remember there's blood on it, that people died to put it into our hands and carry it with respect and love and passion and joy to share with others. And we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. So several years ago, I got to go to... Uh, Senegal in Africa, and uh, it's been many years ago now, and we got to spend some time there with some underground pastors, church leaders, disciple makers, who had basically smuggled themselves in from other parts of Africa into Senegal for this kind of underground conference that was going on, and I was there with a couple of others, and we were just witnesses. We were just there to kind of participate and be encouraged by what we saw, but I will never forget as long as I live uh, during a time of testimony, as men were getting up and sharing their testimonies, one man got up and began to share, all being translated. And he began to share from his past how he became a believer, which was an amazing story of seeing Christ uh, that I won't go into. But he was in uh, a North African nation where it is 100% illegal to be a believer. And as he shared in his story, another man stood up in the back of the room, which is a small little room anyway, because this was an underground thing. 
But he stood up in the back, and at first it was kind of like, um, what's your problem, bro? And then he kind of ran forward, and for a moment we were all kind of at a pause, like, what's happening here? But he tackled the guy, and they began to say things erratically in their language. And basically this, what had occurred was they were both from the same country, and both of these men thought they were the only believers in their country. Think about that for a minute. They thought they were the only one in their whole country. And so the joy and excitement of seeing another brother in their country, and they, they, they literally uh, almost awkwardly laughed and cried and rolled in the floor like they were wrestling, hugging each other. I'm not kidding. It was amazing. It was beautiful. And so today, that's what we're going to kind of look at. That's something Paul is painting a picture of here. You are not alone. As a believer, you're not alone. And how great is it that like Paul, we have brothers and sisters who can come and encourage us, who can stay and comfort us, you know, when we need it. And I hope, listen, you guys understand today how important that kind of discipleship is, that you need that kind of discipleship so that you'll become a comfort to others and that you will allow others to encourage you as well. Some of us are stubborn about that, you know. No believer, listen to me, is alone in the kingdom of God. Listen to what I'm saying. No believer is alone in the kingdom of God. If you are alone, you are in a position you don't belong in. No believer is alone in the kingdom of God. And here's the blessing of not being alone. You have family. And that, and this is the way we're going to take it apart. That family is has encouragement to send to you and comfort to stay with you. All right, that's the way Paul impacts it. That family that we have has encouragement to send to you and comfort to stay with you. That's a blessing of not being alone. So before we start, let me ask you, is that you right now? Is that the way you feel right now? Do you feel like these are things that you get from your church? Now, before you get an attitude, let me ask you something. Are these things you give in your church? So let's go on the first one, encouragement to send to you here. Uh, Colossians 4, verse 7. I'll pull it apart one more time. Tychicus will tell you about my activities. He's a beloved brother, a faithful minister, fellow servant in the Lord. I love that description of him. Think about that description right there. He, he's uh, a beloved brother, faithful minister, fellow servant. What, what, what a description. Is there somebody that would say that about you? Is there somebody that would say that about you? I've sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who's one of you, they will tell you everything that's taken place here. So Tychicus was an Asian man, Asia being Asia Minor, so basically Turkey. We're not saying, uh, uh, you know, China here. Um, but he was on Paul's final missionary journey to Jerusalem from delivering support from the Asian churches. Again, Turkey, Asia. And uh, you can see that in Acts chapter 20. Some say that Tychicus was uh, an Ephesian. Uh, and then that's where he became a believer, maybe. I, I don't know. But that Paul, either way, sent him with this letter to the Colossians. 
So either way, remember Colossae and, and Ephesus, those two towns are not too far apart. So he's sending him anyway to Colossae and then also to Ephesus with the letter to the Ephesians, the book we call Ephesians. Uh, and you see that in Ephesians 6.21. So Paul describes him, though, as beloved, brother, faithful, servant, minister. Think about that now. Paul calls him, think about the words, beloved, brother, faithful, servant, minister. Onesimus, he was a runaway slave. So kind of an opposite individual here. He was owned by Philemon, okay? It's the same Philemon that Paul wrote a letter to as well. It's a book in the Bible, Philemon. It's right before Hebrews. So Philemon owned Onesimus as a slave, and they both lived in Colossae. So they were both from Colossae. And um, as an unbeliever, Onesimus stole money uh, from Philemon and ran away to Rome, probably to try to disappear into the crowds. But somehow he met Paul there. We don't get told exactly how, maybe in prison. But he gave his life to Christ. Philemon also, as a result of Paul's ministry, most people believe in Ephesus, gave his life to Christ. Uh, so Paul was now sending Onesimus back to Colossae where Philemon was. Uh, and, but, but Paul so loved him, uh, so loved Onesimus here. And as he's sending him back, he knows he's going to be sending him back to Philemon as well. And so he sends the letter with Onesimus. So Tychicus has these letters to Colossae and Ephesians, or Ephesus, and uh, Onesimus has one that's going to go to Philemon specifically. And that's our, all three of these are books of the Bible. But uh, Philemon, uh, as he's going to get it, Paul, one, one uh, commentator wrote, uh, Paul grew to love the runaway slave. And longed to keep Onesimus in Rome, where he was providing valuable service to Paul in his imprisonment. But by stealing and running away from Philemon, Onesimus had broken both Roman law and defrauded his master. Paul knew those issues had to be dealt with and decided to send Onesimus back to Colossae. Paul sent him back with Tychicus, who was returning to Colossae with the letter to the Colossians, the one that we're studying through. Along with Onesimus, Paul sent Philemon a beautiful personal letter urging him to forgive Onesimus and welcome him back to service as a brother in Christ. Look a, a little piece of that letter. Look in Philemon chapter 9. There's only it's one chapter because it's one short letter. But in verse 9, I said, did I say chapter 9? Anyway, verse 9. Chapter 1, verse 9. Only one chapter. I, Paul, an old man, and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child, Onesimus. Look what he calls him, my child, whose father I became in my imprisonment. So while he's in prison, he loves this man so much, this runaway slave, that he's now calling him my child. He says in verse 11, Formerly he was useless to you, Philemon, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. My very heart. Is there somebody that would say that about you? They would call you their very heart. In Colossians 4, Paul describes Onesimus as our faithful and beloved brother. Our brother. Our brother. Faithful, beloved. Verse 8. Verse 8, Paul says um, that they're going to tell you how we are. 
Well, how does that encourage? He says that's going to be an encouragement to their heart. Like how? How is knowing how they are going to encourage their heart, or should it? Remember that one of them, at least here, Onesimus, is a Colossian. Would it carry more weight to hear how they're doing from a Colossian? Excuse me. When I was a kid, my great-grandparents at Christmas time, I remember when I was a little kid, they would always get out a projector and either throw it on the wall or throw it on a, a sheet or something, and they would show these old reel-to-reel silent home movies of Christmas past. Um, and, and I knew who the people were to some degree and some of it. I mean, like some of them were my parents when they were kids, but for the most part, I, you know, I couldn't really relate. I wasn't there. It was a long time ago. I didn't really know. And so as a kid, it didn't interest me at all like it did for the rest of the family. I remember as a young man getting older and being in church and we would be hearing reports of these missionaries as they'd come through our community and share stories with our church. And they were fascinating stories. Well, some of them were fascinating, depending on how the delivery came. But in any event, they were, you know, they were great stories about all these things that were occurring. Uh, but it seemed like something that was so outside of our world there at the church. And it was, to me, almost like listening to my grandparents at Christmas. They might have been great memories and great things that were happening, but to me, they were outside my world. But after I got into ministry later as an adult and began to serve alongside brothers and sisters that were part of a gospel-centered, missional-minded church, things changed because I will never forget my friend Brian who was a very close friend, and still is, I don't mean to say was, but, but at the time, very close friend, and we served together in ministry, both on staff together, spent lots of time together trying to accomplish the same goals in ministry together, and then he left with his family and moved to Southeast Asia to support church planting. Now, when he came back and talked, it nearly brought me to tears every time because something was different about him. He was special to me, to us. Not that the others shouldn't have been, but there was something different when it was coming. It was so encouraging to hear what God was doing through him and there because I knew him. He was close to me. And I pray that Salt River Community Church becomes that kind of church. I pray that's the kind of church that we are, that we can celebrate those times when one of ours comes home and shares what God's doing in another church or another community around the world perhaps that that's the thing i'm excited about so these two men that paul sent with letters they had a mission there not just to read a report but to encourage their hearts not just to read something or tell stories but to be an encouragement to them i I think about encouragement that's come to us as we've been out here from tennessee Think about David Rayner at Concord and how he's always sending me videos. He's always sending me uh, text messages just straight encouraging us, telling us he's praying for us, sending pictures and videos, wearing Tempe stuff, <laughs> wearing ASU stuff, which ASU's here in our town, if you didn't know that. So, you know, wearing uh, Arizona things, decorating his house in Arizona things, showing his kids. I know we're on his mind. That is so encouraging. And, and, and he's even making wallpaper for his cell phone here lately. It, it, things like that out of our church. 
logo. Things like that, those things are so encouraging. Sending me pictures, telling me his kids are praying for us by name. That is so encouraging to us. Uh, I think about Ben Edgar. I'm going to go ahead and mention him because it's just happened, who sent me a letter. It was a text message, but, you know, if Paul was around in 2020, he'd be sending texts, not letters. So, <laughs> But anyway, it was a text message. But he wrote some super humbling things. I'm not going to share with you they were personal, but some super humbling things that were so encouraging. Humbling by What I mean by that is that they were just, man, that you think of me that way, bro, was, was humbling. It, it, was, it was sweet to hear about how I love and teach the word. And then he said this. He said, towards the end of what he wrote, he said, When people are around you, they hear from God, not Dave Wiley. It's my hope and prayer that you're seeing God move in Phoenix area. But if you're not seeing as much as you like, remember, do not grow weary in doing good. For in due season, we will reap. Be awesome, brother. Man, that's going to get me. Dude, that's so encouraging. Just a little short text. It's only a paragraph or so. So encouraging. But Paul didn't say he was sending everybody away here. That's not what he said. In fact, he said that there were those that were still with him. He wasn't alone, even in a Roman prison. So that's the second piece here, comfort to stay with you. So you get this encouragement that's sent to you, but you also have the benefit of a comfort that stays with you. Look at verse 10, chapter 4, Colossians. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. My fellow prisoner greets you. And Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you've received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. Basically, that's saying, yeah, that, that Mark. And you'll see what I mean by that in a second. And Jesus, who is called Justice, uh, no idea why that is. Maybe they were changing the name just to separate him from Jesus or Yeshua. But Jesus, Yeshua, the Hebrew version, was a common common name back then. But in any event, these are the only men of the circumcision among whom my fellow workers... Uh, for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Circumcision there being there, meaning they're Jewish. So Aristarchus, he's a Thessalonian Jew. He's from Thessaloniki. We we can find that back from looking at the text, where Paul wrote the letter Thessalonians. All right, he's one of those dudes, and he was a Jew. They'd probably been with Paul to Greece and Rome, or he had been in Acts 19. Luke records that Aristarchus was dragged into a theater by an angry, rioting mob that Paul had gotten all worked up by preaching. And now here in Colossians, we're told that he's a fellow prisoner with Paul in Rome. Mark is John Mark. Paul says this is the Mark that I told you to basically accept because Paul had previously had a falling out with him. Now, you can trace this story, but I'll point it out really quick. In Acts chapter 13, verse 13, it says, Now Paul and his companions set sail from Paphros and came to Perga in Pamphylia. Look at this. And John Mark, that's John Mark, left them and returned to Jerusalem. But they went on. So he left. We don't know what happened, but whatever happened, he left them. They went on. In chapter 15, just a little time later, in verse 36, it says, And after some days... Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Let's go back and check on all these churches that we've started trying to plant. Now, Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark. But Paul thought best not to take him with them, one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. So see, Paul's obviously upset. 
And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and they sailed to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Sicilia, strengthening the churches. So you can see there was definitely something between Mark and Paul. Um, but clearly they reconciled it at some point. In Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 4, Timothy is a letter that Paul wrote to Timothy. In that letter, Paul wrote uh, in 2 Timothy 4, verse 9, Do your best to come to me soon, for Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessaloniki. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. Something changed, right? And now he's in being mentioned by Paul as being in Rome. And in this letter to the Colossians, Paul is saying he's been a comfort to me. So something has definitely changed. Justice was probably a Roman Jew uh, that Paul led to the Lord. But Paul wasn't alone. This is the deal. We may think that if we send our best out that we're going to be left alone. If we send the best we got, we got nobody else. Uh, or if we send everybody, we have nobody else. But that shouldn't happen because we should always be growing support around us. We should always be making disciples who make disciples. We should always be seeing the family grow around us. I think about coming here to the desert, um, leaving behind so many friends and family back in North Georgia, Southeast Tennessee. and We settled here and we began to work on growing this church. And I remember thinking... You know, how's this going to work? Like feeling so alone, so overwhelmed, like, like almost this sense of starting over, but, but, but there was no first time. It's hard to explain, but it was just, it was an overwhelming sense of, of, of hopelessness and, uh, and being alone, even though I knew the Lord was with us. And then I met Coach Eric Lauer, who I'm not going to go into, but the man became such an encouragement to me. He led me to another friendship. Coach Bob Wakefield, who's become one of my closest friends. The three of us are close brothers. And Coach Bob Wakefield shows up here at church every week. He encourages me. He believe, believes in what we do. He encourages everybody that's here. In fact, it's his gift, and I love the guy. Um, but we've become this brotherhood, and now I'm helping coach with them. And uh, I've shared that with people back in Tennessee who don't know them at all. But as a result of sharing that, they are encouraged that we have someone to comfort us, to walk with us. Um, I think about Maggie Javery, who lives across the street, one of the first friends we made when we got here. And she's so committed to be here and being part of what we're doing, too, was baptized in our pool. <laughs> and the beauty of, of having her right across the street is I know she would do anything for us. And we would do anything for her. That's the kind of comfort that we have with people that are here. And Paul takes it a step further in that second list of names that he mentioned there. Aristarchus, Mark, and Justice. And he says that they're basically they're brothers. They're Jewish believers. Brothers in a very literal way. The same heritage. They're of the circumcision. Man, I think about the Hodges. Uh, family here that we've gotten super close with and the first time that we met them hearing their kentucky accent 
<laughs> and it was immediately encouraging. Just hearing that accent made us feel like family with them immediately because we're Southerners as well. And, and we, they, I feel like they felt the same thing, even though they've been here for eight plus years. I don't know how long, long time. We, we immediately began to bond because of that, that heritage. It meant that there were things we could share with each other that really only we got because it was a southern thing, so to speak. It meant that I understood words they used or things they said that others might be like, what? Just because we come from the south. Uh, it also meant we understood some of the same struggles. And the best part is they're here with us. They're here with us. And we're working together to see the church, God's kingdom, move in Arizona. These men with Paul... They knew what it was to leave behind family. They knew what it was to leave behind all of basically their heritage, everything that their generations of families had grown up with because of their decision. And, and Paul was no doubt even more encouraged by them than others. Not that the others weren't important, but that these guys knew, they understood the sacrifice that was involved in professing that Jesus was the, the Jewish Messiah and the Son of God, and the only God. They knew, like Paul did, the weight of saying that among their own heritage. Uh, maybe you feel like you don't have people in your life like I've been talking about. Maybe that's, maybe that's, you know, that's not you. So my first question would be, how involved are you in your local church? How involved are you in the kingdom of God in your church, in your community? That would be my first question. Because these relationships that we're talking about, they come from being part of the church. Not just my name is on the list of the body of Christ. No, you are actively part of it. You're in the church. You're being involved. You're committed to each other. All right. And together to the advancement of the kingdom. That's the mindset you have, and that's what draws these people together. These guys here, all of them, they're not just studying and learning once a week in a pew. They're not just showing up at Paul's house and saying, okay, it's Sunday morning, what you got to teach us, Paul? <laughs> that's not, not what happened. They're fathers and sons in the faith. Look at that. Does that sound like Sunday morning to you? Fathers and sons in the faith. They're serving the kingdom of God, not just, oh, yeah, we're doing that Christian thing. Kingdom of God, man. Such powerful language. They're serving the kingdom of God in Rome and wherever else they get sent. You know, they're not just the future kingdom, the present kingdom of God, the kingdom of God right now. They're serving Paul in prison. Some may even be in prison with him. Some are traveling to deliver his letters and to speak on his behalf. How about that model of discipleship? How about that model of making disciples? Does it sound familiar? It should. It's the same one Jesus used. Let me just give you some verses to point it out real, real quick. Mark 1, verse 14. Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God, saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. The kingdom is here. He starts preaching the gospel, much like Paul. Uh, by chapter 5, he has disciples. In verse 1, seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, he said to he, his disciples came and he opened his mouth and taught them. 
saying, and you see this pattern of him teaching his disciples, but also walking and living out his life with these disciples, sleeping with them, sharing meals with them. And then by the time you come to Luke chapter 10, I'm just pulling the Gospels together collectively here because they all tell the same story. But in Luke chapter 10, verse 1, it says, The Lord appointed 72 and sent them on ahead of him two by two into every town place where he himself was about to go. Verse 17, the 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. So they are going out and they are speaking on his behalf. They are leading on his behalf. And then after he leaves, as you probably well know, Acts 1.8, but you will receive to his disciples, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. It will be your job to proclaim the kingdom of God. It will be your job to proclaim the gospel, the good news. You will be my witnesses. They carried that gospel all of them planted churches. That's the way they interpreted what he meant for them, plant churches. And they wrote letters as well and sent letters. Take, for instance, John, who wrote Revelation chapter 1, verse 4, John to the seven churches that are in Asia. Again, same Turkey, Asia. And Paul wrote, John wrote letters too. These guys did that. So Peter as well got his writings in the New Testament. So if we call ourselves Christians... And by the way, if you say that, you are a disciple. FYI, there's no such thing as a Christian who's not a disciple. There's only bad disciples and good disciples, and that's it. So as a disciple, how should you be living? Alone? Hold up in, hold up in your house, you know? Just focus on your world, just your little community, or maybe even just your little nation? No. No. We should be like Paul and his brothers here, like Jesus and his disciples. I'll give you some of the things. Learning, yes, through study and discussion of God's word. That should be part of your life. Learning through discussion. Discussion means you're coming around others. Discussion of God's word. Advancing the kingdom in our community. You've got to get out to do that. You need help. Together, you advance God's kingdom in your community. That means planting churches. That's what they were doing. They were planning churches, supporting growing churches, serving our Christian family, brothers and sisters, even in prison, maybe especially in prison, making disciples and, listen, loving them like children, not like students. Making disciples, loving them like children and not like students. Uh, traveling to, you know, to deliver letters to encourage other people. Maybe for us that's taking time to type it out like Ben did and send it as a text. Uh, encouraging others with what God's doing with you. I want to encourage you where you are, but also let me encourage you by telling you what God's doing here. Speaking on Christ's behalf. Don't put words in his mouth, but be his witness with his word to others. So is this you? Do you need to make some changes in your commitment to God's kingdom so you're not alone? You might need to make some changes. Do you need to commit to being a disciple and making disciples? It's enough sitting there trying to soak it in. Maybe you need to commit to make, starting to make some. Maybe you need to start investing in others rather than just soaking it for yourself. Just saying. Maybe you need to send some letters. Maybe you need to send yourself. 
Maybe you need to send yourself. Let me end with this excerpt from David Platt's book, Radical, which was a huge success years ago. I still love the book, but uh, forgive me for reading it, but it's just, it's just best heard in his own words. But this is what he says. I remember when I was first preparing to go to Sudan, a nation impoverished by years of civil war. The trip was going to cost me around $3,000. I remember one dear lady in the church coming up to me and asking, why don't you just send the 3000 to the people in the Sudan? Wouldn't that be a better use of the money than you spending a week and a half with them? Think how far that money could go. I wrestled with that question. Was I wasting their funds in order to go when I could simply give the money instead? Should I even be going? I continued wrestling with that question until I got to Sudan. There I had a conversation with Andrew that shed some light on the question. Andrew was sharing with me about his life in Sudan over the last 20 years. He'd known war since he was born. And he described facets of the suffering and persecution his people had been through. He told me about the various groups, most of them secular government organizations, who had brought supplies to them during that time. And he expressed thanks for the generosity of so many people. But then he looked at me and he asked, Even in light of all these things that people have given us, do you want to know how you can tell who a true brother is? A true brother comes to be with you in your time of need. I was immediately reminded that when God chose to bring salvation to you and me, he did not send gold or silver, cash or check. He sent himself the son. That's what I'm talking about. That's the gospel. For God so loved the world, you, me, that he sent his only son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. No matter how unforgivable you feel, no matter how desperate and hopeless you feel, God's grace is greater. Romans 10.9 says, If you confess with your mouth and you believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, and that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. Do you understand what that means? Can you confess that you trust that to be the truth? Can you lay your life into his hands? I'm telling you, if you can do that, your sins went to that cross with him, and your life is now in his hands. The one who was able, the only one who was able to conquer death now holds your life. Give it to him. Do it today. Pray. Tell him. Say it to him. Hit us up. Email us. Let us encourage you. Message us. Hey, you got questions? Send them. Um, if you're already, you know, part of the church, listen to me. Get plugged in and start growing first. Get plugged in and start growing. You're not supposed to be alone. And then find a brother or a sister who can disciple you, who can encourage you, who can comfort you, and then become one who does that for others. That's the heartbeat of our church. I pray it's the heartbeat of yours. Lord, I love you. I thank you for your word. It's amazing. You are such an awesome God. Pray you're glorified in everything we say and do. Help us make disciples who make disciples. Be an encouragement to our family in you. And be a comfort to those who need it. And we ask it in Christ's name. Amen.